Well, good morning and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Welcome to Central Presbyterian Church where we seek transformation. But it's not just any transformation. It's transformation through renewal in Jesus Christ. Christ, he is committed to changing our lives, our community, and our world. And therefore, so are we. My name is Charles Godwin. I am one of the pastors here. We are continuing our Advent and Christmas Tide series today. It's entitled, What Child Is This? So far, we've studied passages, passages that describe Jesus as the Word made flesh, the Word made servant, the Word made Emmanuel, and the Word made Savior. And today we are going to look at the first song of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus our Savior, Mary's song. It's known as the Magnificat and it's titled this because of the very first lines that she sings. And we are going to study the word Jesus made love. Mary's song. It is a song that is not about her, but it is about her God. And it is full of wonder. Wonder at his great love for her and his people. So I hope in this Advent and Christmas tide season, as we study this song, that our wonder at the great love of God shown to us in sending Jesus is refreshed and renewed. So let me pray for us and then we'll read the scriptures. Holy Spirit, we would ask for soft hearts. Help us not to harden our hearts and help us to see Jesus full of grace and truth, whose love is full of power and full of mercy. Amen. Our passage is Luke 1, beginning in verse 46. If you're following along in your pew Bible, you can find that on page 856. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is God's good news of great joy. Glory to God in the highest. As we begin this morning, I think it's important to set the stage for us before Mary sings this beautiful song. Mary is a poor teenage girl. And by that, I mean someone who's not from a family with a lot of money or means. She is pledged to be married to a young man named Joseph. She's in a town in Galilee called Nazareth. 
and she is visited by an angel named Gabriel. Now we don't know if she was alone in her home or maybe outside somewhere when the visitation happens. Nevertheless, Gabriel comes to her and greets her as the favored one. And he tells her the Lord is with her. The Bible says Mary was greatly troubled by this. The visitation of an angel alone would be startling enough, but then by what he says to her. He continues. He tells her not to be afraid because she has found favor with God. And she will conceive a child in her womb and call him Jesus, and he is going to be the long-awaited Messiah from the line of David. And this would be a prophecy with which Mary would be familiar. But Mary's confused because one, she's not married and she has not had relations with any man. And so she asked Gabriel the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And then Gabriel responds that the child will be conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. And he indeed will be God the Son. Then he goes on to tell her that her cousin Elizabeth, who was unable to have children, actually now she's six months pregnant. And he closes his visit by saying this, nothing is impossible with God. And Mary's response is really quite remarkable. And her humble submission to God, listen to what she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And Gabriel departs. So Mary then quickly leaves and she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And when she gets to Elizabeth's home and walks in, she announces her presence. Probably something like, hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Zechariah. Anybody home? And the scriptures say, when Elizabeth heard the greeting. The baby, John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. And then she, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied to Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So in this short amount of time, Mary has been visited by the angel Gabriel. And she's been told that she will be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior through David's line, And she is to call him Jesus. And if she had any doubts, or maybe she thought, did I just dream that or imagine this? She then goes to visit Elizabeth and she finds her pregnant, just as the angel said. And she is told by Elizabeth under the power of the Holy Spirit that indeed God the Son, her Lord, is in Mary's womb. And how does Mary respond? She sings. She sings. That that, that seems a little odd to us, doesn't it? But it's really not all that odd in the scriptures. 
I heard a pastor say that, quote, sometimes in the Bible when something significant happens, someone will respond by singing a song. For instance, what does Moses do after crossing the Red Sea? He sings. And Hannah, she sings after she conceives Samuel. Here in our text, Mary sings this song. And this song is full of truths that she remembers from her worship growing up. Truths that as they unfold through the life of Jesus, they will be surprising even to Mary. For Mary, like most Israelites, she expects a military, a political ruler as the Messiah. I'm sure it's a little puzzling how such a ruler will come from a poor peasant girl. But what we know and what Mary comes to find out is that her son Jesus will be greater than any political or military ruler. He'll actually conquer her and our greatest enemy, death itself. Now her song also is a song about her God. It's not at all about her. And it really is full of wonder at his great love. So this begs the question, about what do you wonder? By what are you awestruck? When I was growing up, there used to be a television show called That's Incredible. Anybody remember that show? If you're young, you probably don't. But it featured people, they were performing stunts or reenactments of allegedly paranormal events. Now, some of them were really quite remarkable. They were pretty amazing. As I've considered Mary's song, I've had some thoughts about how we give our attention, our wonder, our awe to things that while maybe they're good, maybe they're incredible. They are no rival to the amazing love of God for us in Christ. God has come in the flesh through the womb of Mary to redeem broken people and places and things like you and me to life. And today as we look at this song, I hope we will magnify God in our souls. This word literally magnify that she sings, it means that God is actually enlarged in our souls, just as he was in Mary's. I hope that we are renewed in wonder at the love of God, a love that is full of mercy and a love that is full of power. First, Mary sings about the love of God that is full of mercy. In verse 46, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, a servant that disappoints and is unfaithful over and over again. And he's done this, the Bible says, in remembrance of his mercy. 
as he spoke to our fathers, as he spoke to Abraham, and as he spoke to his offspring forever. Mary sings of God looking on her humble estate. And this is not just about the fact that he came to a poor young girl rather than to a rich girl. It's that God looks on the sinfulness and brokenness of Mary and of her world. And he comes in the flesh to fix it. Because she nor we can fix this problem of our sinfulness and brokenness by ourselves. His love is full of mercy. The Bible says he delights in it. Now Mary is honored as the mother of God, but she's not worshiped. In fact, in the scripture, she says, I'm blessed. Mary is blessed by God's mercy, just like we are who trust in Christ. Paul writes of this love that is full of mercy in his letter to Titus. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, once disobedience, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. This is a mercy. It's beyond our understanding. We don't respond to enemies this way, do we? But God, Paul says, demonstrates his love and mercy. He demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. He came and died for us. He took the penalty our sins and brokenness deserve, and by his wounds we are healed. And that is something, friends, at which we should wonder. God remembers mercy to scoundrels like Abraham, to his people over and over again, to Mary and to us. His mercies are inexhaustible. The Bible says they're new every morning. I have a friend who asked this question. He says, do you think God can't show mercy because of some way you've sinned or failed? He then responded, God's faithfulness to Abraham and Israel shows you that you cannot live long enough to be as bad as Israel. God continued to pursue them until he had brought their redeemer through Abraham's seed. He comes to make, what do we sing? We're going to sing, his blessings flow. How far? Far as the curse is found. I want to encourage you this Advent and Christmas tide seasons to take time to wonder at the love of God that is full of mercy. But Mary also sings about the love of God that is full of power. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scouted the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. I alluded earlier that the expectation was that the Messiah would be this political or military ruler. But Jesus was much more than that. 
He conquered our greatest enemy, death. So I want you to think for a minute. Think about significant political or military figures. Caesar Augustus, Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, Nero, Hitler. Where are they now? Where are they? They're in the grave. Think about that. Where's Jesus now? He's not in the grave. He is risen. Death could not hold him captive. He rose from the grave. The most significant, visible expression of power the world has ever seen. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And he now sits in heaven. And he will come again. And when he does, death, sin, brokenness, they will be no more. No political or military ruler could ever do that for us. No amount of wealth could ever purchase that or earn it for us. Only Jesus could do this. The Son of God, born of Mary, who humbled himself by coming to earth. He lived in this broken and sinful world, certainly affected by sin all around him, but without sin. And he died a sinner's death so that we and this world may have life. God and sinners are reconciled by the love of God in Christ that is full of power. Power that one scholar wrote makes dry wombs conceive, removes hearts of stone and replaces them with hearts of flesh and raises the dead. The Old Testament prophet prophet Micah prophesies of this powerful great love of God. Listen to what he writes before Jesus comes. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. In C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Clay spoke of this several weeks ago, the land of Narnia, it's in this hundred-year winter. But as Aslan, the Christ figure, comes, things begin to change. The winter actually begins to thaw. And spring begins to appear. Lewis writes, as the witch is being impeded by the thaw, her dwarf says, this is no thaw. This is spring. What are we going to do? Your winter has been destroyed, I tell you. This is Aslan's doing. And then Father Christmas arrives on the scenes and he runs into the beavers and the children. And he says, I have come at last. She has kept me out for a long time, but I have got in at last. Aslan is on the move. The white witch's magic is weakening. Friends, we all are bruised and broken by the fall. Do you recognize that about yourself? Rich, poor alike are all affected by sin and brokenness. And God delights to show his love to broken people and to our broken world. 
The birth of Christ, I want you to think about this as you think about that story of Aslan. The birth of Christ sets off this trajectory. It's a trajectory of beginning the process of reversing the effects of the fall. He dealt the fatal blow to death by his death on the cross and his resurrection. And upon his final return, curse reversal will be complete. Death, pain, tears, sin, no more. Paul David Tripp writes this, and I read it this week, and I was reminded of um, just this passage when um, I was studying. But he writes this in his Advent devotional. The Christmas story is the world's best love story. It is about a God of love sending the son of his love to live a life of love and die a death of love so that all who believe in him would be welcomed into the arms of his love forever and ever. Embedded in the Christmas story is a promise of unbroken love for the children of God. You can do the dumbest thing and God will still love you. You can have a day when you ignore his existence and God will still love you. You can fail to do what he's called to do, you to do, and he will still love you. I'm not arguing, he writes, that sin is okay or you should not take it seriously. What I am arguing is that the security of our relationship with God has never depended on the faithfulness of our obedience. If God withdrew his love every time we failed, there would be no hope for any of us. The unbreakable faithfulness of God's love for us is such a comfort precisely because we are unfaithful. The unstained perfection of God's love gives such hope to us because we are not perfect. God sent his son to us because he loves us. His son now lives within us because God loves us. And we will live with him forever because God loves us. As you celebrate the birth of Jesus, celebrate the unbreakable love that his birth guarantees you. What child is this? He is the word made love. Nails, we sing, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh. The babe, the son of Mary. I want to encourage you in this Advent and Christmas tide to take time to wonder at the love of God that is full of power. I heard a story about a retired South American missionary. I actually was privileged to work with him when I worked with Mission to the World. His name was Jerry Gutierrez. He was from Peru. He built orphanages for hundreds of street children. He's planted churches. He's hosted national prayer breakfasts throughout South America and through them has won to Christ ambassadors and rulers. There was a time when he was unable to go back to Peru and he lived in Washington, D.C. And he led senators and congressmen to Christ. At one point, he used presidential planes to carry supplies to the orphans in Peru. So many senators, congressmen, vice presidents, presidents, became compassionate toward the needs of the orphans in South America, the street children through Jerry's influence. This one man, has done more for the poor and marginalized and mistreated 
one writer said, than a hundred years of communism did or any government. But the irony is that he was first a communist. He grew up in a poor family in Peru. One day a man came to him and he bestowed upon him a great honor. He said to Jerry, together you and I are going to change the world. We're going to revolutionize this country and then South America and then the whole world. I will pour my life into you and disciple you and together we will do this great thing. Now that man was not a minister. He was the leader of the Shining Path guerrillas. He put Peru into turmoil for decades and he killed and slaughtered thousands of innocent children. Jerry Gutierrez was his prime disciple. He himself was a very deadly man. And just before he was shipped off to Moscow for more training, he got sideways with some of the leaders. And he sought refuge with the only people he could think would show him compassion, the Christians. So he went to the home of some missionaries and they gave him refuge, even though they weren't sure if he was there to kill them or not. Then they began to send letters back to their supporters. And they asked for prayer as they shared Christ with Jerry hoping that he would turn from his violent ways to the peace and power of the Lord Jesus. A little girl in one of the homes of the supporters read that letter. She was too young to recognize that this man was powerful. She was too young to recognize that she was just a little girl. She was too young to recognize that it is really by political movements that things are really accomplished. She didn't know any of that. She just took out a teddy bear postcard and she wrote on it, Mr. Jerry, I'm praying for you. And it was that postcard that Jerry says was the straw that broke his back. He came to Christ. And being shown that kind of mercy, he was transformed into someone who was mighty for the kingdom of God. A little girl and a postcard. And the young girl Mary... In our text, who sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. The young girl Mary bears God the Son, Jesus her and our Savior. And she sings with wonder at the love of God. A love that is full of mercy and a love that is full of power. Well, may God help us in this Advent and Christmas tide and beyond to wonder at his great love. Let's pray. Lord, as we pray now, I think of the hymn that says, What wondrous love is this? O my soul, O my soul, that caused the Lord of bliss to come for us, for our souls, and for our broken world. So would you help us by your Spirit, renew us, help us, help your love in Christ to be enlarged in our souls today and beyond. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.